Hello and welcome to the Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, another week, another episode. Yeah. How are you? It's been a long week. <laughs> Already? Yeah. We're only at Wednesday. Uh, we just had a rough beginning to the <laughs> week, so. Yeah, I know. I know. It's an unfortunate situation. Your, yeah. your doggo passed away. Yeah, we lost our little girl, so. That happens, but, you know, we did the best we could for her, so just kind of trying to clear the dust and, and settle into only having our one little pup now. Yeah. So, no, yeah. I hear you. I'm sorry for that. That's Thank never you. fun. No, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. So, all right. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk briefly about what happened at Loveland City Council, in particular with the recalls and how recalls are handled now, and then we're going to dive right into... Dealing with the primary election because ballots have started to ship. So, and, and, uh, we're going to dive into that and really the differences between the two different ballots and everything that you're going to see with the upcoming primary election. Yeah. Okay. So first and foremost, let's dive into what happened at, at Loveland City Council. God, that seems like something that we talk about almost every time. <laughs> almost every single time. Okay. So the city council actually, um, voted on a, um, A resolution. Yeah, resolution. Thank you. Um, yeah. A resolution basically saying that there needed to be some transparency in um, recall efforts that are coming forth. So they have a process through the state, um, Title 31 and Title 1, that sort of lay that out. But the, each individual city has the ability to change those rules as long as it's adopt, adopted in the, in the city charter. Okay. So they did vote it through. It was a vote of 6 to 2. Don Overcash did recuse himself from the vote, which I think was very appropriate. Agreed. Since there's a an effort to recall him, and that's also part of the reason why this came to the forefront. Yep, it is. Um, so before the ordinance that they put forth last night, uh, there weren't any rules for recall elections in the Loveland Municipal Code. So um, there, like I said, the two state laws, Title One and Title Thirty One, basically. Um, lays out those rules for how they have to be done. But what Loveland adopted last night is that basically um, a petition statement has uh, it. That's the one that states the reasons for the recall election or for the effort um, is it can be 200 words long and it can't contain any profanity or false statements. And then whoever the incumbent is allowed to add a 300 word rebuttal with those same limitations Okay, And it also adds that you have to put a cost estimate to the petition, including both direct and indirect costs. Uh, just a source on that, by the way, is coming from the Loveland Reporter Herald because I want to make sure credit is given where credit is due. Um, but basically, people argued that it raised the bar to a little higher than it should be because it was already difficult to start a recall effort. And they wanted it to be able to go through a lot easier so that you, people weren't stopped or slowed down essentially by the, the process. But, um, on the, the six people that voted it said they felt like it would bring very good transparency, but I, I would tend to agree. I would as well. Reading all of that and even the point of contentions that I saw is you, it forces people to be very clear, very crisp, very concise with the reason for the recall, as well as to have a basis on the reason for the recall. So, and then the other aspect of it is, um, 
overall the the cost of of the recall itself. So I know that that's one of the things in particular with the Don Overcash recall that we are seeing numbers from ninety thousand all the way up to two hundred and fifty eight thousand that it was going to cost the city of Loveland in order to be able to do the recall, and that's why they're putting some of these rules in place. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think um, you know that's the beauty of our government that's the beauty of democracy in in and itself is that if you do not like your elected official and you take issue with them you have the right to put forth a recall effort whether or not you like that they're recalling whoever they're recalling that I won't even get into that <laughs> <laughs> but i also think what it does though saying it can't have any profanity or false statements means that it has to be succinct it has to be clear and it has to be true because over the last several weeks, I, it doesn't even matter whether you like Don, Don Overcash, if you don't like him, if you think he's doing it, if you don't think he is, it doesn't matter. What matters is that it's true. That's what matters because slandering somebody or saying you know, false statements, things like that, what it's going to do is it's going to vote. It's going to sway the voters who wouldn't necessarily take the time to find that information out themselves. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, that is something that is the rule <laughs> versus the ex- versus the exception, <laughs> uh, where it people, uh, you know, everybody's busy, everybody's doing stuff, and the last thing that people want to really dive into is another election or a recall election, and okay, what is actually going on with this? So I can understand that. Well, I yeah, I I think. Um... Of course, you know, you don't ever want to discourage somebody for, for doing something that is, is their given right through democracy. You don't ever want to discourage somebody to do that. However, it reduces all the junk that we get to sit and eat popcorn and listen to. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it reduces that. And I, I think that's a very good thing for, I, I think the, the city council made a good choice. I think so as well. So. All right. Speaking of elections, let's yeah. dive into the primary election, um, and we're gonna we're gonna keep this at just Northern Colorado. So Larimer County and Weld County is the uh, ballots are already starting to be mailed, and that's why I figured it was a good time to be able to dive in to the overall primary ballot. What does this exactly mean? Um, what are what are the details on it? And how is this going to look going from the primary election then into the general election? Well, and I think you brought up some interesting points that I'm really looking forward to chatting about because there are some things you were telling me about just how the ballots work that I wasn't even aware of. So Yes. So with primary ballots, if you are a registered Republican or a registered Democrat, you are only going to receive that ballot, either the Republican ballot or the Democrat ballot, whichever way you're registered. If you, however, are an independent or unaffiliated voter, then you're going to receive both ballots. And then you get to fill out one. You get to pick and choose which ballot you're going to fill out and which ballot you're going to send back or drop off. Correct. So either vote Democrat or vote Republican, but not both. Correct. If you send back both, then they're both, um, both removed, both voided. Yep. Essentially. So (laughs) this is going back into some of the, the episodes that we've had in the past is diving into this. And actually I want to take it back all the way 
to February, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was February 17th when we had the new chair of the Lamar County GOP on, Ron Weinberg. Of 2021. Of 2021, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay, because th- we have some close dates in there, too. So February 17th of 2021 was Ron's interview. Got it. So, and I encourage you to take a look back at that, because one of the things that he talked about that I, I remember is he was talking about that he would like the Republican Party to be very concise with their candidates going into the primary election and to have it so they aren't having a whole bunch of runoffs. So that way you pretty much, when you get your ballot, there's one person for each position. And part of the reason why he wanted to do that is because the way the parties work, you cannot back a candidate as a party unless there's only one candidate running for that position during the primary election. If they're, if it's contested, then you can't have any party money. Right. So if you're running, say the Democrat party has two candidates that they're running at simultaneously because you're going to have a, a runoff on those two and the Republicans are running one candidate, just the one, you have two essentially that are duking out that for that one spot and you cannot, the, the Democratic party cannot back the one candidate to run against the opposition. Until you get into the general election. Correct. Okay. And so that was one of the things that Ron had talked about that he'd like to see different within the Republican Party is to be able to start backing candidates prior to the primary election. Yeah. To really start, you know, amping them up, especially if it's a congressional race, if it's a, a, a hotly contested, you know, against a Democratic incumbent that they want to spend more money and be able to get them through instead of having everybody spend so much money within the primary to then have to try and ramp up for the general election. Of course, the downside that to that would be that if you had somebody that was sitting in that position for a long time and people wanted out, you're going to have a cont- you know somebody contest them. So then, if you if you're not careful about who it is that you're backing, that one guy that you're backing, you're going to lose that seat to the opposition. So Republican seat gets lost to the Democrats. So you have to be really really careful to make sure that you don't have two guys running against each other that are going to get beat by the other side essentially or splitting the money Um, so the reason why i dive into this and bring this up is just based off of the sample ballots that they have put forward so this is again lamar county as well as weld county the democrats have one contested seat going into the primary yeah so every other option so this is from the u.s senator they've got michael bennett for um uh, for representative to District 2, so CD2 is Jonah Goose. You've got uh, CD4, Ike uh, McCorkle, uh, District 8, so CD8, that's the new one. They even narrowed down the new one where that originally started with five Democrats running for that seat and seven Republicans running for that seat. And on their primary ballot is only one. Just the one. Just the one. Uh, uh, Yadari... Caravillo, I, and I apologize if I'm butchering that. And then again, you know, state offices as far as the governor, Jared Polis, Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, uh, State Treasurer Dave Young. The only, <laughs> the only one that is contested is the Regent of the University of uh, Colorado, Congressional District 8. And again, this is a new one that was opened up because we got the new Congressional District. And that one has two people. So Yolanda Ortega and Roseanne Reyes. It's the only contested race on the Democrat ballot going into the primary. 
Well, I could totally see that why that would be contested from any side because it is a new seat and you got to figure out what kind of person is going to be willing, ready, and voted for, for that seat. So that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Now in Larimer County, on the Republican primary ballot, there are 10 contested seats. Sure. The Weld County has 11. So, and again, some of these won't be the same on your particular ballot because this is everything where if you live in House District 51, you're only going to see that. You aren't going to see House District 49. You aren't going to see uh, House District 52. You aren't going to see those on your particular ballot. But on the overall, as far as Larimer County with the statewide races, there are 10 contested races going into the Republican primary and 11 with Weld County. Jeez. So they did exactly what they were trying not to do. Like, cause <laughs> what Ron was talking about more was how you win a racer. You at least put up a candidate that is single backed. Of course, I mean, obviously that's the point of d- democracy in any, you know, in, in its purest form is that you get the choice between two candidates. But if the one party can only, it sort of has this infighting about who the best one is and you have to figure that out. Like you said, you got to figure out who to back. Yeah. yeah and this is, this is only for the parties as far as the Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. There are other candidates that are, do not have to be involved within the primary, um, primary election that are independents that are for the Libertarian party, the Green party, you name it. And we'll go over a couple of those because there are some in the statewide races. But that's one of the things that looking at both of these ballots side by side, this is the other thing that kind of Ron talked about, that if I'm an independent and I am a registered independent, I'm going to vote on the Republican primary election because there's more choices. Absolutely. And so (laughs) if you have so many different options on the Republican side versus the Democrat side, I imagine that there are going to be far more people picking up the Republican primary ballot and voting on that one out of the independents and unaffiliated than picking up the Democrat. Right. No, I would agree with that. Um, interestingly enough, I attended a just kind of a home-based forum for uh, Jeff Fisher last night at a, a friend's house, and he was talking about an event that's going on at Sundance that all of these Republican representatives, people that want to be voted in candidates, um, are all going to be at like this weekend i think it's sunday i'll have to i'll have to find out i wasn't able to get that but i can put a link in there um that they're all going to be there and you can shake their hand and ask questions and that that is what you should absolutely be doing with every single one of these every single one of these candidates including uh, greg lopez for gubernatorial yeah so yeah so we want to dive into a couple of these races in particular that you want to be looking out for now one of them in particular and this is going back to um, I know you've got the date on it, uh, dealing with both of the sheriff candidates. The Democrats did not put up a sheriff candidate in Larimer County. And so the Republicans have two, Jeff Fisher and John Fan, And we had them both on. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode if you want to know more about them. And that was... It was the March 2nd episode. And actually, it was a great episode. I, I really enjoyed uh, recording that one. Yeah. yeah. Both of them are really nice guys. It's just, you know, you have to decide who you feel is, is the best decision to be the sheriff. So... Yeah. And, oh, and just for the record, um, Alex and I have kind of a understanding 
with you guys, I feel like we have a contract with you that we're not going to tell you who to vote for. We'll give you all of the sides. We'll look at every piece of it because the last thing that I would want to do is say, well, we endorse this person and they, you know, they turned out to be horrible or whatever. Um, but mostly just we'll give you the facts as best as we can and, and as um, unbiased as possible because that is very, very important, especially with our type of podcast. Yeah. So diving into the sheriff's race, this is going to be an interesting one. Um, and I really encourage you to go back and listen to, to both of them talk because not only do you have two different candidates that have two different feelings on the way to move forward, but these guys are friends and have been friends for years and years. Yeah, they really have <laughs> so, been. Yeah. So it's an interesting dynamic. They've been very cordial throughout this race, but there are some some different points. You know, you look at Jeff Fisher, he is – as he puts it, he is the strongest Second Amendment supporter and Second Amendment candidate in any race. And when, if you haven't listened to that episode, you'll hear an awful lot about that. John Fan's not the same way. You know, he is very much a supporter of the Second Amendment, but he also understands that there might be some other opportunities for some gun control or some other regulations, that sort of stuff. So it is a different dynamic. Um, I'll let you dive into what your thoughts and feelings are on those two guys. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, boy. I guess how honest do you want me to be? 100%. I, I really like both of them. They're both really very congenial, very nice. Um, it, I feel like John, while he has some very great ideas, if you go back and listen to that interview, a lot of his ideas were sort of echoing what Jeff was already saying. Um, there were some things that they disagreed on, not huge amount of disagreement, but I also feel like, um, Jeff is much more rigid. This is how it is. These are the laws. I have an understanding of that and that is my job and that's what I want to do. And I feel like John wanted to approach it a little differently and that's okay. That is okay. But, um, I, I feel like there is, their personalities are totally different. It is very interesting to see that. Um, what I can tell you is there are a lot of concerns from voters that want more information and would like to speak with John about these lawsuits. And and they would like to understand why he felt the actions he had were correct. In fact, one of the questions that was posed at the forum I was at with Jeff was, what are you going to do if one of your deputies puts a tracker on somebody's vehicle? Right? Jeff's answer was, I will fire them. It is illegal. Yeah, and that's where it gets into a little bit of the gray issue. Uh, gray that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the area. Um, and if you don't know what we're talking about, there was, um, well, John Fan, I believe it was while well, he was a sheriff, that uh, Stacy Lynn, um, investigative reporter, has been putting out um, lots of different information, different things going on as far as dealing with law enforcement, dealing with everything that has happened within her life. And John Fan at the time put a tracker on her car. Correct. And it wasn't state law. State law changed about, I think it was two months after that, that made it illegal. Correct. Well, they never notified her. They never turned it on, but she found it and it was on her car. And so that's where an awful lot of this controversy and contention comes yeah. from. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, John, John had some very good reasoning and answers when he was talking about that. And I, I think it, it is worth taking a listen to what he has to say about that because you have to decide, you know, which one you trust more and which one you feel like should be 
the Loomer County Sheriff. And I, like I said, I'm not going to say one way or the other because I don't, I don't feel like it's fair to speak out on behalf of one candidate and not the other. You have to give them equal platform. I, I feel, um, but they they really are two totally different personalities. <clears throat> yep. I'd agree with that. So let's dive into one of the races that I've been watching quite a bit is dealing with this U.S. Senate race. So obviously the Democrats are still running and still backing Bennett. Um, he's been a senator for, I think this is his third or fourth term that he's running for. Yeah, I'm not sure. And uh, so the people that are running against him on the Republican ticket is you have either Ron Hanks or Joe O'Day. And then that is one that there is a write-in candidate. And I had it pulled up, but... You want to fill in? Yeah. So um, the the biggest issue here, I believe, is that uh, Joe O'Day actually had a an interview with. One second. So okay. the write-in candidate is Daniel Hendricks. Okay. So that is the only write-in candidate. And I don't know, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know anything about Daniel Hendricks. I don't know what he stands for. He is just the only eligible write-in candidate for the Republican primary on the U.S. Senate. Okay. All right. Um, so of course these two are duking it out essentially for the Republican seat to run for the Senate against Bennett. Um, and they, they have like six pretty key issues that they're opposite on. And what's, what's been interesting, you were telling me about it and I was kind of looking at it. There's been some pretty big shifts in O'Day's support recently. There has been. And a lot of that stemmed from the, uh, May 24th episode of the Dan Kaplis show where we had everything that was going on with Roe v. Wade with that leak and that sort of stuff. And Dan Kaplis asked him, so are you pro-life? Are you pro-choice? And Joe Day said, I am pro-choice, but with restrict, with restrictions. And I know you've got some yep. stuff pulled up, so I'll let you dive into that. Yep. So he basically said, I don't support a total ban. The country is not 100% pro-life. The country is not 100% cho pro-choice. He said he does not want to see Roe versus Wade overturned, and he's, he would support federal legislation um, codifying the precedent with some limits. He said he'd vote for a bill that protects a woman's right to choose early in pregnancy and cases of rape, incest, and medical necessities. Um, he does, he did say he opposes late-term abortions, but he does not say what they, uh, what that definition is. Um, and he does not support taxpayer funding for abortion he also believes in parental notification requirements for minors. Hanks on the other side of that, though, that says he believes life starts at conception and there should not be any exceptions. Yeah. And this is the very interesting thing that we're seeing, especially with the Republican Party, is there are an awful lot of <clears throat> I'm, I, I think the only way to state it, state it is extreme pro-life candidates. Yes. One of them that we had on, um, and I believe if you go back to the February 17th episode, was Austin Hine. So it was February 18th. February 18th. Yeah, those are those two days were really close yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. February 18th this year. And so with Austin Hine, he's going against Hugh McKean, um, the minority leader in the House for House District 51. And he, again, when we had him on the on the podcast, he is pretty much right there as well with Ron Hanks as the very extreme of no exceptions, period, no abortions. Correct. Hugh McKean, though, what's his stance? Do you know that one? His is very similar to Joe O'Day. Okay, okay. We're pro-life, but 
there are certain situations. Yeah, with some caveats on there. Yeah, Correct. Okay. Well, and if you go back and listen to the um, Austin Hine episode, um, you'll you'll listen to him. I mean, he lays out his a very clear plan, and you asked him the question. Uh, what was what? Um, can't remember how you worded it, but it was basically what social systems are you going to put in place then? When we, you know, or, or what reform yeah, are you going to make to yeah. adoption? And um, at that point in time, I started going into the fact of the number one thing that has cut abortions in America in half was Obamacare, and it was the ability to get birth control paid for by insurance companies. Correct. That yeah. cut abortion rates in half by by Obamacare. And I said, so what other things are you going to dive into or what other things are you going to, to put out there if you have a zero tolerance policy on abortion? Correct. And it was some of the stuff that he didn't give me a, the full direct answer, but it was, I don't think anybody had asked him that particular question. Well, I think that's because you tend to see it from a place that, okay, if that's what you want to do, then how are you going to solve all the other issues at hand? Correct. And that was, and I've talked about this a couple of different times where with abortion, I think abortion should be a, a, a last resort option. Correct. Yeah. I understand that there's a need for it, but there are things that need to take place prior to, to doing a full ban or prior to really restricting it is we have to have adoption reform. And the fact that not a single Republican candidate within the United States has put forward a decent adoption reform bill, I take issue with that. At that point in time, okay, you aren't the as pro-life as you say that you are when you aren't dealing with other aspects of being pro-life. Right. No, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, we don't even have to lament on that forever because we've done that before. Um, and I don't know that I even have the energy to do that today, really. (laughs) Um, did you, so it's interesting with the, um, O'Day, um, and Hanks there, they have quite a bit of things that they, they oppose against each, you know, with each other just along their same party lines. And it's one of the most contested races, I think, within Colorado right now. Um, Heidi Ganahl and uh, Greg Lopez, the gubernatorial candidates as well, have had some controversy between the two of them. But, and shockingly enough, it's on the, essentially the same topic. Uh, as far as, as far as right to life, pro-choice versus, versus pro-life, um, but dealing with Joe O'Day and dealing with Ron Hanks, that is the, really the biggest kind of point out there is their different stances on abortion. And then I know that there's a couple other items, so I want you to dive into that. Okay. These are, there's a couple big ones. Um, okay, so first, the, the next one is the outcome of the 2020 election. So Hanks basically says that the 2020 presidential election results in Colorado, um, he, he believes Donald Trump won. He said he won, um, and he then sponsored a bill here in Colorado that um, essentially to overhaul the election system, so eliminating voting by mail, requiring votes place, take place on election day, um, saying that all voters have to have a state-issued ID to receive a ballot. They um, have to be counted by hand, and then O'Day then says you know, he doesn't believe that the election was stolen. Um, how do you feel about that? <laughs> oh... We're opening up a can of worms. Yeah, on I was going to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I'm in a unique position because I was running for Congress at that time. Yeah. And so, in 2020, 
and running for Congress as an independent in the middle of a <laughs> middle of a global pandemic, um, I got to see inside the veil a little bit. Yeah. And one of the things that had taken place within Colorado is any independent or unaffiliated candidates are not able to cure their signatures to be able to get on the ballot. Explain what that means. So if you are party affiliated, then you have the ability that if uh, Secretary of State throws out some of your signatures, and again, there are certain reasons why this is going to happen. Perfect example, at the time, CD2 was in uh, Larimer County. Well, when you have like Windsor that's in both Larimer County and Weld County, somebody who says they live in in or live in Windsor thinks that they're in Larimer County but really live in Weld County. Right. That signature is going to get thrown out because they aren't in your district. Yeah. So there are reasons for it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so there are reasons why they, uh, I think the beer that we're having is causing some issues. It's today. a little carbonated. <laughs> it's yeah. It's a little carbonated. We always, you know, <laughs> other than, yeah, we always try to, try to lean away from the mic and then, and then help each other out, like to fill in the time. Uh, it's, occasionally it's, uh, it's coordinated. <laughs> yeah. So, but to dive back into it. So there are, there are very valid reasons why a signature would be thrown out. Well, if you're party affiliated, so you're either a Republican or a Democrat, and those signatures get thrown out and it takes you below the threshold, you are given a certain number of days, depending on how many votes were thrown out, to be able to go out and collect new ones, to oh, be okay. able to, quote unquote, cure your signatures. Yeah, and then you get sense. to turn those back in. As an independent, I was not allowed to do that. And with the changing dates, with everything that happened, so original collection date was supposed to be May 14th through July 8th. And then uh, to be a writing candidate was July 16th. Then they changed it to July 1st through July 27th. With mine, I didn't get authorization from the Secretary of State until July 2nd to actually go out and start collecting signatures. So there was some minutia that was going on. So that's where I have the issue. And that's where I look at it, that not everything was on the up and up as far as the 2020 election, just based off of what I personally saw. Absolutely. So to if that happened with a single congressional race within Colorado, I imagine that it was happening more widespread. I don't believe, especially after everything that we were told, that uh, uh, the, we had all of these issues with the 2016 election, but yeah. then we had all of these new ways to vote or mail-in ballots and everything that was taking place – on in particular districts that had never done mail-in ballots before that I don't think everything was on the up and up. Now, do I believe that it swung the election that that's where we get into some hesitation? Cause I don't know if it was enough to actually swing the election versus just that there were some discrepancies. Fair enough. Yeah. I think it, it does um, necessitate some investigation into those things. And that's the part that irritates me the most is when at any time that you bring it up and you say it needs to be looked at, the <laughs> Dominion voting machines need to be looked at. You look at all of these things that took place within the 2020 election. The part that got me the most and made me question the most was the fact that they shut down any conversation on it. Twitter shut down any conversation on it. Social media shut down any conversation on it saying, no, this was the most secure, the most accurate election that we've ever had in American history. That's BS. 
all day yeah. long. <laughs> and the fact that you were telling me and telling everybody that you can't even question it after we spent the last four years questioning the last election, that's where I have some major issues. But as yeah. far as a Senate candidate, one that's saying you have Ron Hanks who's saying it's complete fraud and Donald Trump should have won the uh, won the election, and then you have Joe O'Day who's saying – no, nah, you know, there might have been some discrepancies, but it wasn't enough to swing the election. That's an interesting choice, especially with the fact of the abortion issue on top of that. So, all right, next There's one. There's a couple more. Um, okay, so the next one um, is actually, let's see. So it's about Ukraine and Vladimir Putin. Um, so Hanks, he is a military veteran, and he said basically Putin is taking this beating, and it's an embarrassment that we're putting him through, that the regime, so the Biden administration is putting him through an embarrassment by backing Ukraine. Um, and then he's saying um, basically he could come in a, and, and do whatever he wants to to the country, He and he used the words he could extract great pain against the United States, cyber attack, blocking shipping lanes. He has options. His options are quote unquote, quite unlimited. So he thinks that Sweden and Finland should not be allowed to join NATO. Um, and because he's afraid to upset Putin, basically he's saying that's going to upset him. And, and this could really come back on down hard on us. Whereas O'Day says he supports Sweden and Finland and NATO, as long as they pay their fair share. And, um, he really, he, O'Day called Putin a punk. So, uh, he says we should not back down and, he did agree, however, that we should not be sending American troops in there. <clears throat> Some strong words from both sides. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, the, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> on a very interesting topic. Now, there is some of the stuff that I have to agree with Ron Hanks on. On that one, just as far as, yes, there is some, some things that Putin can do that can disrupt everything. One of the biggest yeah. aspects is dealing with the port right now that a majority of the grain comes out of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to know, not before the primary election, which is going to be on June 28th, but we're going to know in about the next two months what happens as harvest is starting to happen, as they start shipping wheat, as they start shipping grains, if those canals and if those ports start having issues. Oh, so pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, you know, if you're worried about food shortages right now, we're going to start seeing a lot more coming up. Um, okay. So the next one is climate change. So Hank says climate change isn't real. Um, and he says it's called weather. Uh, they've used it as a lever to control policy and to control conversation. And we've got to push back. So O'Day said the climate is getting warmer and humans contribute to that in some way. Uh, he does put some caveats on there as their top-down government mandates are incorrect. This is O'Day. Um, and that you have to foster innovation and embrace an all-of-the-above energy policy that encourages natural gas, solar wind, small mo- uh, modular nuclear reactors, geothermal, hydropower, all of those things. Whereas um, Hanks just says it's not real. I mean, we've kind of had some discussions about how it's not, that's not, you can't just say climate change is real and not back it up, right? Because we, we, I don't even remember what episode we talked about that in, but you yeah. talked about like there, there are things that are at play that we don't even know are happening. So if we knew the real information, then maybe we'd we feel differently about the things that they want to do essentially from the government up. Yeah. So this is where it, it – and we did a, a climate change, change episode, and I don't have which episode that was, um, but you can definitely go back through our library and be able to find it. 
I can understand the reason why Ron Hanks would take such a strong stand stance on that. I don't agree with him on that. Right. Um, but you look at an awful lot of the stuff that's happening. So anything to do with the Green New Deal, anything to do with um, overall climate change, the fact that we're sitting here and we've had five times in our lifetimes or five times in the last 50 years that we've been told we've got 10 years and then everything's irreversible. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's getting to be an old story. The problem is, is that climate change activists are making legislation and that's the part that i disagree with and i disagree with uh, i don't want to dive in i don't want to do this uh, a full episode on climate change but i'm going to have to give a little bit of perspective on this yeah yeah Nine, the big term that gets thrown out there all the time is 97 percent of scientists agree well that's been proven <laughs> false multiple times and if i was a, uh, especially if i was a climate uh, climatologist i would hate that statistic because it's false and you're pretty much telling me that 97% of scientists disagree with the scientific method. Right. So this is where you have a lot of people on the right, in particular the the far right, that they aren't even willing to have the conversation about climate change because they are so disgruntled with how it's been used as a manipulation and a tool to try and drive agendas. So I can understand why... Ron would say that, but I, he's, you're going to lose most of the independence with that, with that thought process and that philosophy is climate change happening. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You can see the jet streams change. You can see everything that's happening right now. You know, the fact that the last couple of years we've had snow at the end of May into June, that the climate is changing. Now, how much of that is humans doing it versus how much of that is the planet itself doing it? You know, when they're still selling multi-billion dollar real estate deals on coastal cities that were supposed to be underwater 10 years ago, it causes you to pause. It causes you to question. But at this point in time, you aren't only going for the Republicans. You have to win the independents. You have to win some of the Democrats to be able to get elected. And with his stance on this... he's losing an awful lot of that. Right. And that goes back to the original point you were making is that you got to get one of those candidates to back. And I I don't even know, you know, the Republican party is probably saying, well, okay, let's see who's, who's going to take it. Because obviously they're going to back their candidate. Yeah. And it's interesting watching the polls in particular on this race is because they have shifted quite a bit. And a lot of it stems from that, um, that interview with Dan Capitalist that Dan Capitalist had with Joe O'Day dealing with Roe v. Wade. And so it's, this is where you have to dive into these candidates. You have to dig in a little bit deeper, find out what they truly stand for. Right. And does it match up with you? But also if you are diehard, you know, extremely pro-life, you believe all climate change is a hoax, you believe all of this stuff, then you have to also ask yourself the question is, okay, he stands for everything that I believe in, but is he electable? Will other people mm-hmm. elect him? And since we've gotten so far out to the fringes, really the independents are the ones that are making the decision on who actually wins these seats. And the one that appeals more to the independents and says, 
you know, I don't know everything, but I want to have a seat at the table and I want to have a conversation and learn more and have a better understanding of X, Y, or Z topic. That's the candidate that's going to win. Well, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because, it, I mean, <laughs> they're clearly very, very divided. I'd love to see a um, debate between the two of them. Yeah, well, that's on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. So, um, okay, and just a little bit of word on um, Daniel Hendricks, who's the write-in. Um, so he was born in Kansas. And let's see. I'm trying to see if there's anything on him. There's not a lot of information I find a whole on lot anything. On him. He, they, you know, he's running, but I'm not seeing a lot of info for him. Yeah. Okay. So one other race, and we mentioned it briefly, is definitely Hugh McKean versus Austin Hine. So and that one's had an awful lot of controversy because at county assembly, that one, Austin Hine won 72% of the vote. So that forced Hugh McKean to collect signatures in order to get on the primary ballot. So that's, this is the other aspect of it, is you look at everything that we just talked about as far as the Ron Hanks and Joe O'Day with the Senate candidates – now bring that more local with House District 51. Yep. And you almost have the identical pairing. Pairing. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Where where Hugh tends to be a little less um, radical. Austin definitely has some some um, <clears throat> very strong opinions, and he does not intend to deviate from that. And I get that. I mean, if you're a candidate that says, this is what I believe and this is what I'm running for, if you are voted in, you know that that's what people want you to do. But again, let's go back to the independent vote. Well, it's not just the independent vote. It's being able to compromise. Because yeah. the whole whole rhyme and reason on why we're doing all of these elections and everything of that sort is to actually better society as a whole. And by doing that, a lot of it takes compromise. You know, the best bill that can be passed at the Senate, at the House, um, at local levels, the best bill is the one that nobody's happy with. Correct. Because yeah. everybody got a little something that they were looking for, but not the full thing. And they gave a little, a little bit, but it, no one's really happy with it. But it was at least something that whatever the XYZ legislation was, was able to be put forward. When you have so many people on the extremes, and we've seen this the last, I mean, really it kind of started 2006, I would say. Now, prior to that, um, there was definitely a point of contention. But if you look at how much of the divide and how few people are willing to cross over, cross the aisle, mm -hmm. and actually have a true bipartisan bill. Now, if it's bipartisan, that means one or two people stepped over the aisle on either side. Right. Bipartisan means they had one or maybe two people that from the other from the opposite side of the aisle they were willing to come over and actually sign on board with a piece of legislation that's not the way it's supposed to be yeah. and that's not the way that our country started and has you know has grown has adapted has has moved through the last 250 years right i mean that's <laughs> yeah this is kind of a hot mess i mean let's just throw it out on the table they they can't get along. They can't make any decisions together. And like you said, when one or two p one or two votes from the other side makes it bipartisan, that's not bipartisan to me. No, not at all. And so that's one of the things where you have 
look at Ron Hanks and Joe Day, but then also look at Austin Hine and Hugh McKean and vote for who you want to vote for. But understand that you got to look at their electability and whether or not they can actually win against the other person. Otherwise, that's where fantastic. You got somebody on the general ballot that you agree with 100%, but if only 10% of people believe like you do, that candidate's not winning. Agreed. And it doesn't, it doesn't, obviously we're talking about the Republican piece of this right now because they're the ones that are running all these races and trying to put up the best candidate where the Democrats said, nope, this is who we're backing, right? So just to be clear about that, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican or you're independent, look at each of those candidates and say, number one, is this somebody I want to represent me? But number two, if I want the, if I don't want the Democrats to win and if this was flipped, I would be saying the same thing. If I don't want the Democrats to win, I need to make sure my candidate is viable. Is this somebody, number one, that I even trust? And number two, will they be able to win the, win the race against that person? And that's the entire point of the primaries, though, right? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. So and then the other hotly contested race, and again, this is because with the exception of the one CU Regent, race for um for cd8 the democrats don't have a primary election right all of the the primary candidates are going to the general election with the exception of that one race so that's why we are definitely more focused on the republican side because of the points of contention so but for our <laughs> kind of the final big race is dealing with the governor mm-hmm. so and you have obviously jared polis is the democrat and you have two candidates. You have Greg Lopez and you have Heidi Ganahl on the Republican seat. So dive into that. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I think we've talked a, li- a little bit about um, – You, I think it's very clear that I, I'm not a huge fan of Governor Polis. My biggest issue, of course, with Governor Polis is that broad oversweep of power that I felt like we've seen in the last couple of years, especially regarding COVID, but with oil and gas and all kinds of other stuff that he's done that I didn't feel like represented the people of the state. However, if you believe he adequately represented what you want the state to look like, then vote for him again. Okay. Now, what I think is disappointing about the governor's race on the Republican side is I don't really know that they're running strong candidates. <laughs> I, I know that there are some favorites that are coming through. I know that there are people that everybody likes. Um, we have, okay, Greg Lopez, uh, just as a quick reminder, he's the one that we found out had, had, um, assaulted his wife during her pregnancy and had, took a very strong stance on abortion. You know, it's really, it's, it, I know it cycles back around all the time, but abortion is such a hot button issue right now and, and nobody wants to talk about it like face to face with people, yeah, but Kyle, yeah. Clark will, Kyle Clark will certainly yell at you. Um, <laughs> yeah, let me see. Okay. And I'm not really, what's the other gal's name? Heidi Ganahl. So Heidi Ganahl is a current uh, regent um, at CSU or sorry, CU. Oh, okay. Okay. So, um, all right. So Heidi Ganahl and Greg Lopez seem to be going pretty head to head and we have that other candidate. Um, but they both actually not on the primary ballot. Oh, not on the primary ballot. No, nope. okay. and there isn't even a write-in. It is just strictly uh, those two. Okay, so the two of them, and and I'm trying to pull up some information on what the difference essentially is between the two of them. Um, basically, it, Lopez is saying he's on the right with abortion. He says no exceptions, no exceptions, and she says. Um, 
Well, it's interesting because it's very similar to Ron Hanks and Joe Day. Interesting. So this is the thing that we're seeing, and it's you have a more independent Republican versus a staunch far-right Republican is what it seems to be in all of these races. And the interesting aspect of this, and you saw this happen at uh, county assembly, you saw this happen at state assembly, you've seen this happen all the way around, where you have the base that goes to it, that are delegates, that are um, alternates, that are going and voting for the more extreme right. Yeah. But then you have also kind of that more independent Republican that is contesting them. And so this is where it really boils down to the primary ballot. And this is, again, where kind of the way that we started this episode, dealing with the differences between the Democrat and the Republican ballot, where because of the contention, you're going to see an awful lot more independents and unaffiliated voters pick up the Republican ballot. And then at that point in time, if they've done any research and they've started looking at this, they're looking at it from the opposing viewpoint of, okay, I see this person's more extreme and my candidate or the Democrat is going to have a far better chance. So I'm going to vote for the more extreme candidate. So then it's an interesting situation because I can very easily see if Ron Hanks and I'm putting it out there. This is not, this is just an opinion of my observation. I'm not endorsing one person or the other. Ron Hanks gets the nomination. Bennett's staying as a senator. I mean, (laughs) here's what I'll say. Um, I would almost go so far as to say if Greg Lopez gets that, Polis will stay governor. That's kind of my thought process as well. You know, if you think about it, that's actually a very smart move from the Democratic side. So, and this is where it's becoming plain politics mm-hmm. is because it's not just looking at the candidate, but also looking at their electability, also looking at their base, looking at all of that. And then how can they do in the general election? Yeah. Because the primary election, you're just trying to attract your base to get on the general ballot. Yeah. Then you have to attract everybody. All independents, all unaffiliated, all Republicans, all Democrats, you got to try and pick up a majority of everybody. Well, this is going to be a very interesting primary election, isn't it? Very much so. You know, that actually is a a fairly interesting or a a fairly genius strategy, strategy from the Democrat side because now they've had all this time to push all these candidates that whoever is elected during the primaries for the Republican side now has a lot of makeup time to do. And they've got to get those independent voters and even the democratic voters and the Republican voters to want for, to vote for them. And I think what's been an interesting shift recently, and you, you can kind of, um, I want you to weigh in on this. Um, what's been an interesting shift, especially in the last two, three years is that people are leaving their parties. Oh, very much so. And that tells me that they're not going to vote on party lines. So, you know, 50 years ago, if you were a Democrat, you voted Democrat. If you were Republican, you voted Republican. That's it. In particular, down ballot. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, yeah. I would concur with that. I mean, I think there's always, you're going to vote for somebody you know personally or that you understand or whatever. But um, this is going to be really interesting because people are going rogue. Yeah, it's even Lambert County, there's more registered independent and unaffiliated affiliated voters than there are party affiliated voters combined. Yeah, which <laughs> which 
makes it actually this sort of perfect storm for this, this exact, exact situation right now. If you ask me, and I'm just going to throw this out there, Ron was right in saying that you had to be able to put one good candidate forward because you are handing over a lot of power to the opposite party. Doesn't matter if it's Democrat, doesn't matter if it's Republican, if you're not united, then you are handing a lot of that power over to the other side. Correct. That's just my thought on it. Yeah, and that was Ron Weinberg's taste on uh, take on it. Um, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And looking at, at how everything is developing within this primary election, what that's going to do during the general election. Mm-hmm. And then in particular with the general election, this is can be a multi-generational change and shift within the the House and within the Senate. Some people are talking 80-plus seats in the House. Well, if you have 80-plus seats that flipped, again, going back to 94 when the Republicans took the House, they flipped 42 seats. Seems like kind of a low number then, doesn't it? So, and with the difference, so you have currently, I believe it is um, 220 House Democrats and 207 uh, or 208 House Republicans. So you've got less than 20 seats. And uh, because I think that there's like seven vacancies at the moment. And so when you look at that, if you have 80 seats that flip, so 80 seats is what polls are talking about. 80 Democrat seats flip to the Republicans. Okay. At that point in time, that is generation, a generational flip where the Republicans are going to be holding the House for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So this is some of the stuff where you take all of that into account and looking at it from a 30,000 foot view Mm -hmm. on the overall map and everything and looking at full engagement. It is fascinating (laughs) (laughs) to see how people are manipulating, how people are moving and what is going to happen. I can tell you that that does not happen if the Republicans put up a bunch of extremists. And the reason why the Democrats are in the position that they're in right now is because they put up a bunch of extremists. You know, you had the far left that they got elected, got into office, and now that's triggering everything that we're seeing today. If the Republicans do that, and if they even the same thing, if they get a bunch of these far right wing Republicans elected, then they're setting it up as well for the next time, 2024 or 2026. You know, whatever it may be, seeing that extreme flip happen again. And you know, you know what happens at that point? Tell me. We as society, we as America, as American citizens, we lose. Yeah, absolutely. You keep on having these far left, far right extremists elected to these offices and to these positions. We as society, we lose. Yeah. Because everything that, say, somebody who was in the office for, you know, down the middle doesn't necessarily have to be conservative or liberal, but really is willing to look at the issues and work with the other side. Now, the one side is going to exert its will. The other one's going to come in and flip it around, and they're going to go back and forth, and nothing good is going to come from that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I started my garden last weekend. How about you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so it's 
it's definitely interesting, but I encourage you to actually look into who is on the primary ballot, who you want to vote for and actually understand what they stand for and take a pause and look at, okay, what, what fully does this mean? Right. Because I think not everybody realizes the impact of this kind of stuff. I, and I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Um, a lot, oftentimes when I ask you questions during episodes, I really don't know the answer to it. And I'm asking because I don't know. And, and the structure of politics is confusing to me sometimes. And I think it's because I either tend to think incredibly logically or the total opposite. <laughs> right. I'm like yeah. out there in the, out there in on the clouds, right? I, the creative side of my brain is different than the logical part of my, my brain. So when you start putting these together and neither one of it doesn't make sense and it's not creative, <laughs> it's sometimes hard. So I really do appreciate your insight on that. Um, cause there's a lot of stuff that I really just didn't understand. So thank yeah. you. And so we don't want to leave out Weld <laughs> County. So there are three main races that are contested again on the Republican side, okay. not on the Democrat side. That is the County commissioner at large. You've got Kevin Ross versus Elijah Hatch. Then you've got state representative for district. So this is House District 48. You've got Gabe Evans versus Terry Lee Robert DeGroot. And then House District 63. And that is Richard Holdorf versus Jesse Vance. And I don't know enough about the candidates that I want to tell you one way or the other. Just do your due diligence on these candidates and make sure that there's somebody that you actually want want to win, but also is going to actually be, <laughs> without it sounding like an oxymoron, because I know it sounds like it, <laughs> but be a good, true, honest politician. And that's a difficult thing to come by. I don't even have anything to contend with that. <laughs> I would agree so wholeheartedly. I think that that is really the thing that's most important is that you have to be be very careful about elections. And obviously, if you're an independent and you're voting, like you said, a lot of people are going to run or vote on that Republican ticket because that's where it's really going to make a difference. Those other guys are all going to the actual election. So we have to figure out who's going to go against them. Or, or, you know, even if you are going to vote, Democrat or you like the Democratic candidates better, vote to decide what you think if they were to win, would you be okay with them being your representative? And I think okay in the sense of I don't hate you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had unfortunately that's what a lot of our elections come down to if you ask me. Yeah. So um okay. No, there, so there is one other thing, and I'm again going back to when we had both uh, John Fan and Jeff Fisher in yeah. studio, and I agree with John where he said that we needed to have um, the coroners. So Larimer County, this is the first time, and I can't tell you how many years, um, James Wilkin, uh, Wilkerson is our current coroner, mm -hmm. and he is not running again. He has ran uncontested. What feels like the last 200 times okay, okay. <laughs> because he's the coroner. Yeah. Nobody really cared. I mean, they cared. He does a great job at his job and nobody, there wasn't a single Democrat. He's a registered Republican and ran on the Republican ticket. Uh, James Wilkerson did. Okay. Um, but there was never a Democrat that's like, yeah, I want that position. No. Wilkerson did a wonderful job as coroner. Didn't really have any issues, wasn't in the news, you know, just overall a good stand-up public servant. Yeah. 
Well, now we've got, because he's retiring, we have two candidates running. We've got one Republican and we've got one Democrat. Uh, so the Republican is Matt uh, Kanaj. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, and I'm sorry for this. It's C-A-N-A-G-A. Kanaga. Kanaga. Matthew Kanaga. Matthew Kanaga. Thank you. And versus Stephen Hanks, the Democrat. I think that we need to have both of them in studio. Let's do it. I've never interviewed a coroner before, and I just kind of want to. I just want to <laughs> be able to say, hey, you know, with everything else that we're dealing with, within society, within elections, that sort of stuff, to get a candidate who's running for coroner to be able to come on and just be able to kind of see them debate on how, how are, I don't even know how that would go. Is how are you going to be a better coroner? Right. How do you, how do you do that better? Uh, okay. So <laughs> Kanaga is actually the one that is, um, being, he was endorsed by Wilkerson and he was a Marine. Um, and he said that he actually, Kanaga has the longest tenure in the office with the exception of Wilkerson and offers dedication as well as experience and skills. So he's the one that's been in the office and is being by, um, Wilkerson. Now who's the other candidate? Stephen Hanks. Yeah, I don't know. Let's see. I didn't find anything on him. So, but in the whole rigmarole of election season and dealing with all of this stuff, just to, I, you want to talk about feel good politicians. I think coroners overall, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> to throw some dad jokes in there, the atmosphere is kind of dead, but. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I've been wanting to throw that one out there for a little while, but I I want to reach out to both of those guys, see if we can have them on in the coming months before the uh, before the November election, and just get their thoughts and their opinions on why they're running. And I think I think that would be just an enjoyable show to listen to. I think so too. And you know, it's interesting because I, I listen to a lot of true crime, crime and murder podcasts, and if you don't have a good corner. He can be in real trouble. Oh, yeah. He can be in real trouble. So thankfully, we've had um, Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had Wilkerson for so long. And, and it sounds like I kind of looked at this other guy, um, and he they both seem like they, they really want to be dedicated to the job. So I think we should definitely, if, if you guys listen at all or if you know anybody or if you know them, have them reach out to us. We'll, we'll do some digging and see if they want to come on and talk because that would be really interesting. Yeah. I bet there's a lot of pieces of that job that we don't even understand. Oh, I we don't even know exist. I think a majority of my thought process on what a coroner does came from CSI, the show. Yeah, that's not where mine came from. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, obviously. I was thinking Silence of the Lambs. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that's uh, not good. As, I mean, you know, I have my medical background, and I've, I've been in, in mortuary, or in morgues and things like that. So I do have an understanding. Hello, Clarice. You're right. Um, <laughs> Oh, and we've gone off the rails. Yep, there so. it is. It's off. Anyway, but I think it would be really fun. I, I totally agree. Let's uh, let's reach out to them. Yeah. So, and if you happen to know either of these two gentlemen personally, and uh, you listen to this, please extend an invite for on our behalf. Uh, you can reach out to us at the native dot the transplant at gmail dot com. Again, the native dot the transplant at gmail dot com. Yeah. All right. So yeah, you should be getting your primary ballot here in the mail pretty quickly. And again, that election is going to be the 28th of June. Right. And just a total disclaimer here. Um, we are presenting the facts that we can find on, um, what is it? Ballotopia? Uh, Ballotopia is a great resource. And then, um, 
if you want to see a sample ballot, uh, just go to either the Lemmer County website or the Weld County website. Absolutely. You know, it, it is, it is very important to note it, it, it is your vote. It is your right, right to vote for whoever you want to, but I will echo what we have said pretty much every single episode that if you feel strongly about how the country is changing, that your state is changing, that your county is changing, that your city is changing all the way down to your neighborhood. If you feel strongly about that, it is imperative that you vote. And I'm begging you to vote with just a little bit of knowledge about what you're voting for and who you're voting for. Preferably a little bit more than just a little bit of knowledge. I'm just give just, a, <laughs> just, you know, an understanding at least. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Don't just vote blindly. I, I, I never wanted to be the person that voted just along party lines. The fact that we as Americans have the right to vote, it's now our responsibility as voters to be diligent in knowing and understanding who we are voting for. Yeah, and listen, if you I if you are on the radical side or if you're on the super conservative side, cool. One hundred percent support you, absolutely. That's that's on you, man. Like you vote how you want to vote, but for God's sakes, vote. Yep. All right. Now on to beer of the week. Beer of the week. We haven't, I think we did this one almost about two years ago, but they always have some good stuff. It's Odd 13 Brewery. ODD 13 Brewing. Yeah. So Odd 13. The thing that I love about these guys is just their artwork. Oh, me too. (laughs) So So not only do they put out fantastic beer, but all of their artwork on every can is fantastic. So what we're, uh, what we have been sampling so, and again, as you're getting to this point in the episode, you know that we had to stop a couple of times um, because it's highly carbonated. Highly. Uh, but this is their codename Superfan, and okay. it's a hazy uh, IPA. Overall, 6.5% alcohol by volume, um, but this one has Citra, Simcoe, uh, and Econaut hops, um, two-row golden promise, red wheat and white wheat malts. And, uh, yeah, overall, uh, you aren't a big IPA fan, although you've said and you liked a lot, a lot of IPAs. So I want you to dive into this one first. Okay. First, I want to read, um, this wonderful description from, uh, it's what beeradvocate.com. Okay. So Americanized in a swift, bitter Christmas, yet juicy and fruit display codename Superfan first starts off with a glowing goldenrod appearance while crowning with a creamy off-white froth. As the citrusy scents abound, a waft of tropical fruit, herbal appear, and earthiness rolls off the foam. Okay, so I'm not a huge fan of IPAs. <laughs> and you need to know that the, the least favorite thing I have is a very, very hop-forward beer that it hits me, and I get sort of the bitter hops taste. I actually don't mind hops in beer, and and as you well know, I've, I've come to love IPAs. <laughs> despite, yep, yep. Continue. despite myself, Continue. I suppose. Um, <laughs> there are some cool flavors in this and that citrusy sort of feel comes there. And I, that they talked to, it talks about that creamy off white froth. I did kind of like the creaminess at the end, but I do not like the bitterness that it leaves on my tongue. And that's definitely where, when it's talking about the earthiness mm-hmm. that you get that from, this is definitely one of those that uh, typically don't put fruit in with a IPA. But a slice of grapefruit in with this one would really just accent those citrus notes. I like it. You know, again, you know me, the the hoppier, the better. Um, (laughs) So overall, I really enjoy this one. And, you know, we'll have to try next week for another IPA that you just 
love, even though you quote unquote hate IPAs. Well, I suppose I used to hate, I used to hate IPAs. Um, I do tend to kind of gravitate now when we're at local breweries and things because I, I like to try them and see, but I always have to put that caveat on there of if it's two hops forward, I'm not going to enjoy it. However, I really do agree a slice of grapefruit on this would cut that bitterness by kind of balancing each other out and add just a little bit of sweetness in there that I think would make it a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. So if you haven't had Odd 13 Brewing, I highly encourage you to, to pick up a four-pack or a six-pack from them. Or you go down there uh, there in Broomfield, Colorado. Go down to the Tap House. Yeah, and actually I did find an address on one of their Tap Houses. It's um, 301 East Simpson Street in Lafayette, Colorado. Ah, yes. So they might be doing some brewing and, and distribution out of Broomfield as well, but they do have a, a Tap House in Lafayette. Got it. So. Got it. So awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys listening as always. And I would ask you, um, as we are continuing to grow as a podcast, number one thing that helps us out is if you subscribe to us and if you can leave us on a review, we're on 13 different platforms, whatever platform you listen to us on, if you can leave us a review, we'd greatly appreciate it. So, and then if you have any topics that you want us to discuss or you have any beer recommendations or anything along those lines or if you just disagree with us please reach out you can reach us at the native.thetransplant at gmail.com again the native.thetransplant at gmail.com yeah even if you want to cuss us out we don't care yeah (laughs) be nicer i don't know i've been i've been cussed out before it's all right yeah me too i'm good with it (laughs) no but we we would love to hear from you guys it's it's always really nice to hear I really liked how you thought about this, but you were totally wrong about that because we will come back and we will definitely retract a statement or correct, not necessarily retract, but correct something if we have the incorrect information. Awesome. Well, as always, I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.